This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Today on Finding Center, the theme is Letting Your Light Shine. In the first half, Andrea Thomas shares her BYU Forum address, Make a Difference in the World. Then in the second half, Chad Lewis shares his thoughts, called The World Needs to Feel and See Your Light. Here's Andrea Thomas, Senior Vice President of Marketing at Walmart Stores U.S. The last time I was at this podium was almost 21 years ago when I was graduating from the Marriott School of Management with my MBA. I was asked to give the student address that day, and I remember spending a lot of time thinking about it. I felt the responsibility of representing my fellow students well. We were at a tremendous inflection point in our lives, and while I learned a lot as a student, I was even more aware of what I didn't know. I knew I wanted to make a difference in the world. I just didn't know what that looked like, and could I really do something that would matter at a broad scale. I was getting ready to leave my lifelong home in Utah and move to Wichita, Kansas to begin my marketing career at Pizza Hut. While I knew that pizza wasn't going to change the world, I thought it was a great place to start. I was excited to work on a nationally known brand within a well-regarded company. I thought that if I could start working with really smart, motivated people, something might rub off on me to help me figure things out. You can learn so much about what to do and what not to do from observing and interacting with others. Before graduate school, I had kept my world pretty small. It didn't really occur to me that there could be life for me outside of Utah. My parents had lived in Utah nearly their whole lives, and I stayed very close to home for school. It was time for me to expand my world and learn from people who weren't like me. And my life is so much richer because of those relationships. Life can be a great teacher if you allow it to be. Over the course of my career, I've had a lot of choices to make. Many of you are facing really big choices about marriage, your major, job opportunities, where you're going to live once you graduate, or when you're going to start or expand your family. While some of the biggest choices in life happen early on, we continue to make choices throughout our lives. Sometimes it can be daunting when you're facing a big decision that you know will have a lasting impact on your life. But we are fortunate to have access to divine direction. I love what DNC 1113 says. Verily, verily, I say unto you, I will impart unto you of my spirit, which shall enlighten your mind, which shall fill your soul with joy. I have entered into what I like to call the endure to the end phase of my life. I have already made most of my big career decisions. My husband and I have been married for 26 years. Our kids are growing up and starting to go out on their own. I'm happily settled at a company I love, so I'm hoping not to have to make any big career-changing decisions. In 2 Nephi chapter 31, verse 20, it tells us, Wherefore ye must press forward with a steadfastness in Christ, having a perfect brightness of hope and a love of God and all men. Wherefore, if you shall press forward, feasting upon the word of Christ, and endure to the end, 
Behold, thus saith the Father, ye shall have eternal life. Enduring to the end spiritually is a lot like enduring to the end temporally. You can get into a groove, put your head down, and press forward. Or you can have a perfect brightness of hope, a love of God, and of all men. If you search the word endure on Google, it says to suffer patiently or remain in existence. Neither of those definitions sound too inspiring. I would rather think of enduring to the end as an invitation to make a difference in the world. Have you ever had an experience where you feel like something you did made a real difference to someone? It feels great, doesn't it? What if you could put yourself on a path where you left brightness, love, and hope behind in your temporal pursuits as well? Wouldn't that make enduring to the end a lot more fun? I have a few ideas that can help you discover ways to make a difference in the world. First, make your world bigger. Second, don't think or talk, act. Third, have passion and courage. And fourth, hold yourself accountable to do your best every day. Let's talk a little bit more about each of these ideas, starting with making your world bigger. There's one simple quality that can really help you expand your world, and that is curiosity, which really means thinking beyond what you normally think. You can do this by asking more questions, meeting more people, listening more intently, or experiencing new places. One of the great cultural icons for Walmart is a picture of our founder, Sam Walton, on one knee listening to the associates in the store. More than 20 years after his death, we still hear stories of how Mr. Sam cared about each associate and spent the time to truly understand what they had to say. He was constantly asking questions, going into competitive stores to try to get new ideas, or flying over towns to watch traffic patterns to figure out where to build new stores. Even after he had made millions of dollars, he still got up at 3 o'clock every morning to get to work, driven by a desire to learn or try new things. We do something at Walmart that we call Eat What You Cook. The idea behind this is to invest the time to truly understand the situation you are trying to impact. For example, a group of our executives who were working on developing our sustainability strategy traveled to the polar ice caps to see for themselves they were shrinking. They brought environmental experts with them to learn what would happen because of this and what Walmart could do to be better stewards of the environment. By experiencing this together, it created a shared language that helped them put together the strategy the company's been working on for the past decade. These experiences that are intended to bring you to a place where you wouldn't normally go to gain a better understanding of a particular topic or issue. This is not something unique to Walmart. I had an eat what you cook experience when I worked at Hershey that really helped me expand my view of the world. I was responsible for global innovation, which largely meant figuring out ways that Hershey could enter developing markets. 
I had traveled to China and India and the Philippines looking at opportunities to serve what economists were calling the bottom of the pyramid. These are people who live in places that don't have grocery stores, banks, or even paved roads. They can't afford to buy a bar of soap or a bottle of, or a bottle of shampoo. They buy sachets that look like ketchup packets that cost a few cents filled with a single serving of chocolate or enough shampoo for a single wash. I had traveled internationally before, but not to these kinds of places. I saw what poverty looked like when I took a tour of one of the slums in Mumbai, India. We walked through Dharavi, a place where one million people crowded into the middle of the city. To put that in perspective, it would be like every person living in the Salt Lake Valley moving onto the BYU campus. There was no running water and none of the creature comforts you and I are accustomed to. They lived in concrete rooms with electrical wires hanging low in narrow corridors. There were no bathrooms, just a small river running along the border that serviced the whole community. I had heard about places like Dharavi, and I knew that many people do not live like us, like we do here in the U.S., but I was not at all prepared for what I experienced on that hot July day. I was surprised by how industrious the people of Dharavi were. They were working hard, tanning leather, making pottery, baking bread, and refurbishing oil drums. Nothing went to waste in Dharavi. Their very livelihood depended on their ability to make something of value out of next to nothing. People were busy, and they seemed to be happy. They dressed their children in clean, neat school uniforms and placed a high importance on sending them to school. You would think that living in such challenging circumstances, the toll would show up on the faces of the children, but that just wasn't the case. They had the brightest, happiest faces. These children didn't know that they were living in a slum because they had never seen how other people lived. I'm sure they couldn't even imagine what it would be like to run around on a playground or play a video game. I came home with a completely different perspective on life. I realized how much of my life was focused on consumption. As a society, we have a tendency to overindulge and to seek after material possessions. As a Walmart executive, that's a good thing. We sell material possessions. <laughs> but it's easy to get caught up in this. And I also realized how much we waste. Just think about the dilemma we face when we go to a restaurant and order an entree that's twice as big as we need. Do you eat it all and worry about the extra calories, or do you eat until you are full and leave the rest on your plate to be thrown away? Eliminating waste allows the products that are being produced today go so much further. It's estimated that we waste a third of the food that's produced in the world, whether it spoils in unrefrigerated trucks on broken down roads or is thrown away when we don't eat the food in our refrigerators fast enough. A more conscious consideration of our consumption habits will help reduce the waste that we produce. One of the things that I focused on in my job leading the sustainability office at Walmart was eliminating waste. We talked a lot about what it meant for the population of the world to reach 7 billion people like it did a couple years ago, and what it would look like when it reached 10 billion, which is projected to happen in my lifetime. 
One main reason that the population of the world is growing at unprecedented levels is the improvement in mortality rates. There are more children in developing countries living to adulthood. And because of advances in medicine, people in developed countries are living much longer. In addition, there are more people moving into the consuming class in these developing countries. These are all accomplishments to celebrate. But if we don't do something different, we won't have the natural resources to support this many people at the rate of consumption that we experience in the developed world. Gaining a broad perspective of the world will give you an important foundation. But in order to make a difference in the world, you actually have to do something. I can't tell you how many times I've been in high-level forums where the discussion never gets to the action stage. It's much easier to talk about problems than it is to actually solve them. While it's important to gather information, developing and executing a plan of action is the only way you can make a difference. When I was at PepsiCo, the CEO used to say that a point of view is worth 50 IQ points. He didn't mean that you had to have the answer to everything, but he encouraged us to come into every meeting with a well-thought-through point of view so we could contribute to the development of a solution. How many of times have you gone to a class or been in a meeting where you are just a warm body in the room? Actively engaging in our lives and putting the effort forward to ask questions about things so you can learn more and develop a point of view will make your days more satisfying and will increase your impact on the world. I saw a great example of this on another Eat What You Cook trip that I took to Africa when I was focused on sustainability for Walmart. We went to the Luanga River Valley in Zambia in an effort to understand the opportunities for Walmart to build more stores in sub-Saharan Africa. We had just purchased a business in South Africa that primarily sold general merchandise items. In order to expand in areas that were less developed, we needed to expand the food business. When communities become more developed, the people move from farming for their own needs to getting paid to supply the village with what they need. The income that the family gets from selling or trading at the, in the market gives them ability to start buying things from others. When you are just entering the consuming class, you start by buying things like food and soap, not television sets and sheets, which is what we were selling in South Africa. Before you can sell food, you have to build out the supply chain, which meant helping farmers produce the kinds of fruits and vegetables and grains that people wanted to buy. We met with a man who founded a very unique organization called Comaco. It, he has a brand called It's Wild that produces basic staples like beans, rice, and peanut butter. It's very interesting how this organization started. The founder was an elephant biologist from the U.S. who went to Zambia to study elephants there. He was very sad and frustrated by all the poaching he saw, and he wanted to save the elephants by putting an end to it. He observed what was happening and discovered that the reason the men were illegally killing the elephants was because that was the only way they saw to feed their families. He realized that if he taught them how to farm, 
and allowed them to trade their guns and traps for farming equipment and seeds, not only would the elephants be saved, but the community would be stronger. He had developed training modules for farming and basic health and created a brand that was being sold in grocery stores in the bigger cities. They had the more experienced farmers teach and provide support for the farmers that were just starting out. And he was able to develop a way that the farmers could bring their products to market so that they could get a fair price. It was truly amazing to see what the vision of one man was able to create. And when we were able to add the size and scale of Walmart, we could help him make an even bigger impact. 200 million customers shop at a Walmart store globally every week. We work with thousands of suppliers to make the products that our customers want to buy. Writing one purchase order can help a company get financing to build or expand a factory. It can be hard to uh, get your head around the kind of impact that kind of scale can enable. So I'll just try to dimensionalize it for you. If you put $1 bill down on the table every second, it would take you 15,000 years to count out the amount that Walmart sells in one year. But by focusing on the numbers, you really miss the company's purpose. I came to work at Walmart because of the mission of the company to save people money so they can live better. When I was trying to decide whether or not I should move my family to Arkansas to take the job at Walmart, I had an experience that helped me really understand how many people needed help, the kind of help that Walmart could provide. One woman I got to know in my community was dealing with a challenging situation. She and her husband lived on a very tight budget. Her husband was diagnosed with heart disease on top of the diabetes he had been battling for years. She was frustrated because there were so many foods that he couldn't eat. She didn't know how to cook for her family. The doctor had given her a whole bunch of pamphlets, but she didn't really understand what she was reading. She needed to save money, and she also needed to help plan her meals. As I was helping her, I realized that going to work for Walmart gave me the opportunity to create solutions to help her and others like her live better. I accepted the job and moved to Arkansas and started working on our private brand business and the Great For You nutrition labeling program that was launched a few years ago to help guide healthier choices. My experience working with her gave me a desire to impact the issue on a bigger scale. Translating an idea or a plan into action takes a lot of hard work. It's important to have passion and courage, the day in and day out commitment to never give up. There are always twists and turns along the way. Life rarely happens the way you expect it to, but you have to keep adjusting your approach if you're going to continue to move forward. I love the Calvin Coolidge quote that says, nothing in the world can take the place of persistence. Talent will not. Nothing is more common than unsuccessful men with talent. Genius will not. Unrewarded genius is almost a proverb. Education will not. The world is full of educated derelicts. Persistence and determination alone are omnipotent. One of the farmers I met while I was in Zambia was named Veronica. 
we went and visited her on her farm. She worked with several other women to grow mangoes and mangrove and raise chickens. She provided work for several other women. She was also raising six of her nieces and nephews who had been orphaned when their parents died of AIDS. Veronica had many reasons to give up, but she didn't. Not only did she continue to work for herself, but she lifted up several other families and gave them the means that they needed to survive. As she walked us around her farm, she shared the improvements that she had made and was planning to make. She even insisted on giving us one of her chickens to take home with us. It's a long way back for a chicken to ride. <laughs> she inspired me through her passion and courage. Veronica made a difference to the women and children that she was supporting. You do not need to work for a large company to make a difference. The final idea is to bring your best effort every single day. When I went to BYU for graduate school, I can remember feeling like I was in way over my head. I felt like I didn't belong and that I wasn't smart enough to compete with the other students. Truthfully, I was stressing myself out. Then I decided all I could do was my best. If I was able to go to bed every night knowing that I had given it all I had, I could live with whatever happened. I had never worked that hard at anything in my life, and it gave me the confidence that I needed to compete in business and take on even bigger challenges throughout my career. It's also important to figure out a way to measure your progress. It's amazing how, many times you, how much time you can spend on activity that doesn't lead to anything. Deciding on the metric that you can use to hold yourself or your team accountable is such an important step. If you measure the wrong thing, it could, liver, it could deliver the wrong result. If you don't measure, and you, then you don't really know when you have succeeded. Measuring your progress is a lot like keeping score. You are all very used to how we keep score in school through grades and tests, and you also had to take some sort of a standardized test before you got into college. Once you finish school, the metrics for success can be less clear. A serious look at how you spend your time is a way that you can keep score. Throughout my career, I've been asked how I'm able to balance my personal life and my career. I've reflected a lot on this question and have ended up realizing that balance is about meaning rather than time. When I am fully engaged in all aspects of my life, I feel it's in balance even if the time I'm spending isn't equally split. When I became a mother, I learned very quickly that when I was with my kids, I needed to be there fully. I wasn't able to make a connection with them if I was on my computer or on the phone, so that time didn't count. It's the same with work. If you're there but not putting your whole self into your job in the hours that you are there, you will not feel good about your contribution and will most likely not be contributing at the level you could. I recently took a course for executives that taught us it was more important to manage energy than time. We talked about what we needed to do to align our energy investments with our deepest values and beliefs. 
It focused on body, heart, mind, and spirit to become physically energized, emotionally connected, mentally focused, and completely aligned with our personal mission. We learned that full engagement requires that we stretch beyond um, we stretch by pushing beyond our normal limits in order to expand our capacity. The things we spend our energy on are the things that we get done. The focus of energy can't be split. We're either focused or we're not focused. This is bad news for everyone here that likes to multitask, myself included. Think about the impact of your actions and don't get caught up in the illusion of progress rather than true impact. Don't limit yourself before you even get started. Give yourself permission to think big. It's an amazing feeling when you're fully engaged and empowered. It takes effort and focus, but the payoff is incredible. I would like to challenge you to choose to make a difference in the world throughout every stage of your life. Enduring to the end should be joyful, full of hope, and love. Thank you. You've been listening to Finding Center. Our theme today is Let Your Light Shine. We've just heard from Andrea Thomas. After the break, we'll return with Chad Lewis for The World Needs to See and Feel Your Light. This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Today's theme is Let Your Light Shine. Next, we hear Chad Lewis, Associate Athletic Director at BYU, with The World Needs to See and Feel Your Light. Shortly after accepting my job at BYU, I called Elder Jeffrey R. Holland's office to ask if he would do the voiceover for an athletics commercial at the height of Jimmermania. Because of my football career, I got to know Elder Holland and thought he would be the perfect person with his distinctive voice for the job. Then I had a meeting with Tom Homo, the athletic director, and I let him know how excited I was about the possibility of including Elder Holland for our project. I naively assumed that he would be thrilled about my phone call and invitation. I was wrong. He was a major faux pas. He let me know that any invitation to one of the leaders of the church needed to go through president of the school. I quickly wrote an apology to President Samuelson, and this was his inspiring reply. Chad, no need to worry. We sometimes forget to inform those coming into BYU employment of the unique way things are done at BYU, particularly when it relates to the contacts and requests of the senior brethren. You are like those guaranteed a place in the celestial kingdom because no one ever taught them the gospel. We probably should not take this one up the line, but feel free to raise any good ideas you have. Sorry we didn't loop you in earlier. I know Elder Holland's only concern would be disappointing you. Know that you are loved and appreciated. All the best. Cease. I love that letter. It was a shining example of my topic today. The world needs to see and feel your light. What does President Samuelson's letter, with his good-natured correction for me, have to do with this theme? everything. How do you think it made me feel as a BYU employee to receive that letter? It inspired me. He didn't crush me with his authority. It was just the opposite. I could feel his light and the love that he had for me. As I share my thoughts with you today, my hope is to better prepare you for tomorrow. 
Many of you will run your own companies. You may hold positions of leadership. You would be wise to follow this great example of how to correct and inspire others. President Samuelson has tried to respond to every email from every student. Think of the encouragement and faith that he has shared with you and the other students over the last 11 years. He has certainly followed the counsel of the Savior to let his light shine. He and Sister Samuelson are awesome, and I will miss my associations with them. Kevin Wor President Kevin Worthen and his wife Peggy will likewise win your hearts and earn your respect as they serve you. I know President Worthen and have complete confidence in him. Our Savior Jesus Christ said, Therefore let your light so shine before this people that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. That is my favorite scripture. Let your light shine. When President Monson spoke at BYU in 2011, he titled his remarks, Be a Light to the World. I love President Monson and know that he is a living prophet today. I support him and sustain him. He is a prophet like Abraham and Moses, like Joseph Smith and Gordon B. Hinckley. He shared his testimony of the Savior Jesus Christ with these words. He is our Savior and our Redeemer, our Advocate with the Father. He is our Exemplar and our Strength. He is the light that shineth in darkness, that each of us here today may pledge to follow Him and to be His lights among men and women is my prayer. The week of my BYU graduation, I signed a contract to play for the football for the Philadelphia Eagles. I wanted to head to the East Coast and let my light shine, make the team and score a bunch of touchdowns. My emotions swirled together in a mix of total excitement and nervousness. I arrived at the Eagles facility and was the first player in the tight end meeting room, waiting for my coach to arrive. Just then, a tall coach walked by the doorway and saw me out of the corner of his eye. After passing a few steps, he popped back and stood in the doorway, looking at me with a big grin on his face. He had a big wad of chewing tobacco in his lower lip, and with a twinkle in his eye, he said, Hey, Utah. <laughs> yeah, I said. Are you Mormon? Yeah, I'm a Mormon. <laughs> Are you good Mormon? I said, I don't know. I, I try to be. Do you drink? No. Do you smoke? No. Yeah, you're a good Mormon. He walked off. <laughs> and I had no idea who it was then. I found out that it was Emma Thomas, our defensive coordinator and legendary defensive back for the Kansas City Chiefs. He knew other Mormons, and he knew the difference between someone who was committed and someone who wasn't. He was loved by every player he ever coached, and I enjoyed his friendly banter. As you could probably imagine, the locker room and atmosphere of the NFL was not quite like that of a missionary zone conference. <laughs> and yet in that environment, Emma Thomas was influenced by some great Latter-day Saints like Ty Detmer, who was the Eagles quarterback. There were times that year when negative comments were made about the, the church and times when Emmett thought I might be the target of ridicule for that reason. During my rookie season, when Emmett saw some of that, he would say something like, hey, leave him alone. He's a good guy. I loved him for that. The ups and downs of my career sent me to the St. Louis Rams and then back to the Eagles a few years later when Andy Reid was made the head coach. Emmett also changed jobs and went to the Minnesota Vikings. After my fourth season, I was selected to the Pro Bowl, the NFL All-Star Game, played each year in Hawaii. Emma Thomas was on the coaching staff for my team. And the first thing I did when I got to the practice field was visit with him personally. I put my hand on his shoulder and I told him how much I loved him. And he smiled and humorously said, yeah, I love you too, Chad. <laughs> I asked him if he knew what I was talking about. And with that same twinkle in his eye, he said, yeah. 
I know what you're talking about. His impact on me left a lasting impression. In 2008, Emmett was inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and I cried when I heard his acceptance speech because it brought back a flood of memories of him letting his light shine on me. These are the final lines of his speech. As I go to my seat, I'd like to leave you with these final thoughts. Our talent is God's gift to us. How we use that talent is our gift to Him. My sincere hope and prayer is that God finds my gift back to Him, a worthy one. May God bless and keep you and continue the good, faith of fight, the good fight of faith. President Monson has counseled us to go to the rescue of those in need. He said, amidst the storms of life, danger lurks, and men, like boats, find themselves stranded and facing destruction. Who will man the lifeboats, leaving behind the comforts of home and family, and go to the rescue? Surely we try our best to do that as missionaries and in our service one to another. I was on the practice field and grateful that Emma Thomas spoke up on my behalf and in his own way shared his gift and came to my rescue. He could have easily remained silent. I will always love him for that act of Christian kindness. I'd come to Philly with a deep desire to let my light shine, and what I found was the bright sunshine of others was brilliant. I knew that as members of the Lord's Church that we hadn't cornered the market on goodness, and what I found was that goodness in others was exactly the light I needed. I knew the NFL would have some rough characters because I followed the game and I watched the news, but I was filled with hope when I got to know how many great people there were. The people you work with and associate with out in the world will be drawn to you because of your desire to be like the Savior. Let your love for Him shine from your eyes. Let there be no doubt that He is who you follow. You have an understanding of the atonement of Jesus Christ that the world needs to see and feel. The Book of Mormon is what teaches and clarifies the atonement in a way that changes our hearts so that we can be born again. Concerning the Book of Mormon, Joseph Smith said, I told the brethren that the Book of Mormon was the most correct of any book on earth and the keystone of our religion, and man would get nearer to God by abiding by its precepts and by any other book. Another person whose light greatly influenced my life was my teammate and fellow tight end with the Eagles, Jeff Thomason. The whole team loved Jeff because he earned the respect through hard work and had a magnetic personality that made all of us want to be around him. Jeff is number 83 on the left. He took his job seriously and was a professional in every way. He could handle mistakes on the field and keep his chin up better than anyone I knew. A great example of this was a play during training camp. Jeff ran 22 Texas Y out, which required a 10-yard vertical sprint with a sharp cut to the outside. He ran a nice route, and Donovan McNabb threw a sweet pass. When Jeff reached for the ball, it jammed his left pinky finger, which caused him to drop the ball and resulted in a boutonniere deformity. That's when the pinky remains bent down until the resurrection. It's fairly common among football players. Andy Reid, he blew up. He yelled that Jeff had just run the worst route that he had ever seen. It was not typical of Andy to do that. Jeff smiled through the pain and even laughed behind his face mask as he held his finger. He knew Andy really liked him, and he didn't lose confidence over it. Jeff's reaction caused the other tight end, Mark Bartram and me, to crack up. Even though Andy was on fire, it was a humorous scene. We were exhausted from training camp, and anything funny was made funnier by the sheer physical and mental exhaustion we were experiencing. 
Jeff's ability to smile and laugh in times of trial or even pain lifted the spirits of those around him. His attitude reminds me of Ammon taking on the Lamanites who scattered the flocks at the waters of Sebus. When the other servants with Ammon wept and murmured because of their dire situation, Ammon let his confident and faithful light shine. The verse reads, Now when Ammon saw this, his heart was swollen within him with joy. For, said he, I will show forth my power unto these my fellow servants, or the power which is in me, in restoring these flocks unto the king, that I may win the hearts of these my fellow servants, that I may lead them to believe in my words. My weakness as a player was in blocking. Jeff not only helped me improve my physical technique by showing me how to do it, but he always encouraged me to get better. Even in the highly competitive culture of the NFL, he took the time and made the effort to help his teammates. When Michelle and I would go out for dinner with Jeff and his wife Blake, he would ask me to share stories of my mission in Taiwan. He said he loved hearing those stories. We gave them a copy of The Other Side of Heaven, the movie about Elder John Groberg's mission in Tonga, and he loved it. He said after watching it, I wish I could have played at BYU and gone on a mission to Tonga. <laughs> we gave them a leather-bound copy of the Book of Mormon with our testimony written to them inside the cover. Since we loved them, we wanted to share what meant most to us and what brought us peace and joy. People will love to hear your stories. Don't be afraid to reach out and share them. Your stories did not just happen for you. They are meant to be shared. That is a great way that you can let your light shine with others. Jeff finished his career and went to work for a national construction company. Two years later, when the Eagles played the Falcons in the NFC Championship game, I broke my foot at the very end of the game, which made it impossible to play in the Super Bowl. Andy called Jeff and signed him out of retirement to play in the world's biggest game. The next two weeks for Jeff were a media circus. His story of going from construction worker to the Super Bowl was a big hit. He was on the Today Show, the Good Morning America, the CBS's early show, and a special on 60 Minutes, and he handled it all with class and humility. In this photo, I was sitting on my scooter at the Super Bowl, and Jeff wore number 85 in the background. As the Eagles, we did not win Super Bowl 39 against the Patriots, but Jeff played a great game. It marked the end of our football careers together. The game is over, but we will be friends forever. The light of friendship I felt from Jeff in challenging situations was illuminating, like a car driving at night with the headlights on high beam. I saw how important it was to be around someone who could maintain a positive outlook, no matter the situation of the game, a setback, or anything else. I learned it was vital to surround myself with greatness, and I invite you to do the same. As you study here at BYU, and as you then go out into the world, find people who will build you up and help you live your high standards. Surround yourselves with people who will support your faith and not belittle you for seeking protection through your covenants with Heavenly Father. It was a true gift to play in the NFL for a coach who shared my faith. Andy Reid came to BYU as a junior college transfer offensive lineman. He was part of the team that won the 1980 Miracle Bowl, where Jim McMahon threw the last second 41-yard bomb that was caught by Clay Brown to beat SMU. Andy was planning to go into the medical field and become a doctor like his mom. But Lavelle Edwards saw something in Andy and told him that he would make a great head coach. When he came to Provo, Andy was not a member of the LDS Church. At BYU, he met a girl named Tammy who changed his life. As they started to fall in love, she let him know that she wanted to be married in the temple. 
Andy wondered what the temple was all about. He loved Tammy enough to find out. Because she was willing to share her faith with him, he studied the gospel, embraced the teachings of the Restoration, and joined the church. They were married in the temple, and they raised their five kids in the light of the gospel. Andy's whole career has been defined by hard work, dedication, and treating others with utmost respect. Like Lavelle, Andy made no distinction between the quarterback, the janitor, the tight end, or the secretaries. He lifted the entire organization. He made sure the workplace was professional and clean, with no evidence of pornography. I thought I was the luckiest football player on earth to have been coached by Lavelle in college and Andy in the pros. For example, Andy did not allow bad movies to be played on the plane or buses when we traveled. That was different from many teams. I even took some gentle ribbing from my teammates who would ask, well, what are we going to watch this week, Bambi? And I told them, if you're lucky. <laughs> After 9-11, he spoke to our team about grief and love. It was powerful. The next day, he pulled me aside and mentioned how much he enjoyed watching me and my teammates quoting Bruce R. McConkie on the news, and we didn't even know it. And I asked him what he was talking about, and he said, yeah, grief and love. I found an old conference report and I plagiarized the whole thing. <laughs> it was no accident that when he left Philadelphia and became the Kansas City Chiefs head coach that he hired Emma Thomas as his defensive backs coach. Birds of a feather flocked together. When Michelle and I finally left Philadelphia to move back to Utah, we were sad to say goodbye to friends who had made an eternal impact upon our lives. Our bishop was Vi Sikahema, who played football at BYU and also for the Philadelphia Eagles. He worked for NBC10 News in Philly as a sports anchor. When Michelle and I arrived in Philly, Vi and his wife, Keala, immediately welcomed us into their family and their home. I think we ate as many meals through the years at their house as we did our own home. Those meals often included missionaries and people who were investigating the church. The Sikahemas demonstrated how to create a home where the light of the Savior could be seen and felt through their love and friendship with others. Since Vi was in the media and chose what interviews would make the news, he unwittingly let me share my testimony with my Chinese brothers and sisters. One day, I started an interview in the locker room by saying, I proceeded to quote the fourth section of the Doctrine and Covenants in Chinese. And my mission president, Kent Watson, had all of the missionaries memorize and recite that at each zone conference. Michelle called me on the way home from work and asked what I was saying in Chinese because it just aired on the news. And I laughed and I thought it was pretty cool for the Chinese people who lived in Philly to hear in their own language that a marvelous work was about to come forth among the children of men. Our last day in Philly, we sat in Vi's home while his son LJ played the guitar and sang to our family my favorite Hawaiian song, Kanaka Vai Vai. I was overcome as I thought about the light and the love that the Sikahemas had let shine on our family for so many years. I learned from my good bishop that the Lord's servants were colorblind, that they loved all of God's children. Vi made me feel like one of his Tongan brothers. While you're here at BYU, please get to know your bishops. Help them remember your names by attending your meetings. Wherever you go after BYU, make sure you stay active and remain true to your testimony. Your bishop will help you feel the love of the Savior and better understand his atonement. A month after we left Philly, 
My best friend growing up moved out into Vi's ward. He was not active in the church and had quite a few challenges. He called me in distress, looking for help. When I called Vi to ask for his help, he responded by saying that I had called the right person. He said he would do everything in his power to help Brian. He promised to be relentless and go all the way to the end in lending a hand. He committed to use all of his connections, resources, and friendships to help, and that he would pull out all the stops. A wave of gratitude washed over me. I knew Brian was in the exact hands that the Lord wanted him to be in. I thought of the Savior's parable of the Good Samaritan, but a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him, and he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence, and gave them to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Vi did exactly that. He bound up Brian's wounds, and took him into his home, the same way that he did for my family. He helped Brian regain his footing in life and find his testimony in the Savior again. Over the next few years, my friend met a girl named Tamisha, and he helped her study the gospel with the missionaries. She got baptized, and they got married. I was there, and so was Vi, when they were sealed in the New York City temple. It was a miracle. Presently, my job and my passion is to develop the BYU Athletic Department. I get to work with some of the finest people I've ever met. As I prepare to close, may I just say what a joy it is to work with the student-athletes. Tom Homo calls them the secret sauce, and he inspires us to do whatever we can to serve them and to help them. Who would eat a J-Dog without his secret sauce? And who would work here without trying as hard as possible to help the students succeed? Taysom Hill is one of the 630 student-athletes at BYU. He strives to let his light shine as he performs with energy and class. Taysom's mission president, Jeff Simmons, just told me that he was one of the best missionaries that Australia had ever seen. He couldn't stop saying how many ways Taysom let his light shine as a missionary. One telling comment he made was that he noticed Taysom's light long before he was witness to his athletic ability. If I had time, I would share many examples of the student-athletes and the generous supporters of BYU who give of their resources because they love you and want the best for you. I'm very grateful that I was fortunate enough to attend BYU. I love the professors and coaches who shared their lives and their light with me. As you apply the lessons and principles you learn here at BYU, I hope that you will find success. Be willing to share that success with others. Be willing to give back and to let your light shine so the people around you will see and feel the light of the Savior. I want you to know that I love my family with all my heart. My parents and Michelle's parents are the best people I know. Michelle has been my constant support and my best friend. She is the best decision that I ever made. She is the absolute love of my life. My children are my sweetest gifts. I love each one of them. I want them to know that they need to look to Christ for peace, joy, and their remission, and a remission of their sins. At 19 years old, I was called as a missionary to the Chinese people in Taiwan. They are pioneers who have more courage than I could comprehend. I saw in their faces the divine kindness of the Savior. I promise them and I promise you 
that when you read the scriptures, especially the Book of Mormon, and pray to your Father in heaven, that you will feel his love for you. I know that teaching about and being cleansed by the atonement is the greatest motivator in life. Jesus Christ suffered and died for you and for me. I know that when I demonstrate my faith and repent of my sins, that I feel close to him. I know he is my redeemer because I have felt his light and his love. He is who I believe in with my whole heart. I know his arms of mercy are open wide and that he is the way to have peace and joy with my family forever. Let's do our best to help people see and feel his light. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. You've been listening to Finding Center. Join us every weekday for an hour of inspiration and spiritual focus. Today's theme was Let Your Light Shine with thoughts from Andrea Thomas and Chad Lewis. Find links to text, audio, and video of these addresses at byuradio.org slash findingcenter. Finding Center is a production of BYU Broadcasting.